Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's November 10th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Howes-Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. And wow, Austin, we, we have just a few things to cover today, right? Oh my goodness, Matt. <laughs> what a wild ride the last few days have been. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, I think it's it's pretty accurate to say we're kind of in the middle of, you know, our, our Lehman Brothers moment of of um, of crypto and it's sending ripples through the whole market. Um, this in the backdrop of I mean, we're just recording now, and I think about one hour ago, we had the new CPI numbers, which have been surprisingly positive. Um, I mean, we are, what, seven, seven point, um, consumer prices picked up 7.7% in the year, which was less than what economists thought, which I think is like the first kind of a uh, month that we've, we've had that. Um, there, we were anticipating a 7.9% uh increase however this is also down from 8.2 percent um in september so macro seems pretty great equity markets are pumping for the first time in quite some time and crypto is down badly so we're going to dive into the why the how share some of our at least predictions around how this plays out for coming weeks, coming days. I mean, we're on we're on a uh, an hourly basis almost at this point, but there's a lot to unpack. So let's jump into to the main story of the day. FTX and Alameda Research have collapsed in what is perhaps the largest failure in crypto history. As Matt put it, it's perhaps the Lehman Brothers moment of crypto. This is huge. It's a huge story. You've probably seen it unfolding over the last several days, and you've been getting updates here and there. We're going to try to bring the whole thing together to tell you from the very start all the way up till now how this has unfolded and what it means for you. So first, a quick backstory. Back in 2017, CZ founded Binance, and it quickly grew to be the largest centralized crypto exchange in the world. You've probably seen CZ from Binance all over Twitter. Uh, you may have used Binance yourself. It's a huge exchange, easily the biggest one. Around May of 2019, though, a new player entered the space when Sam Bankman-Fried founded FTX, another individual and exchange that we've spoken about a lot right here on this show. Now, at that time, Binance made a strategic investment in FTX in 2019, with the thought being that rather than run from the competition, maybe own part of it and influence it. And this was actually seen as an awesome partnership. In fact, FTX would build institutional product offerings for the Binance ecosystem as part of this. So it seemed like there were two good competitive uh, but cooperative players in the space. But FTX began to grow pretty quickly, and it could begin to be perceived as a real competitive threat to Binance. In fact, in 2021, just last year, Binance chose to divest from FTX during its $900 million 
funding round. And as part of this, and this is important, Binance received $2.1 billion worth of FTT and BUSD. Okay. FT, Keep FTT that in mind. here being the 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 token, the native token of FTX, right? Correct. The in, just now, one little interesting segment on this, very quickly, not to interrupt the flow here, but so they they divert. So basically, CZ sold his stake that he bought in FTX for two point one billion dollars worth of tokens, right? He bought that, I think, for a hundred million in twenty nineteen. What just just a a side note on what a return on investment yeah. that is. So let, let's let's continue. I just wanted to call out that because that is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, and it turns out that it may have been more than just a monetary return on investment. Mm. <laughs> so let's bring us up to speed today. In 2022, FTX became the world's second largest centralized exchange right there behind Binance. Now, Binance still did 10 times the trading volume of FTX, but the rate of growth that FTX was experiencing was beyond significant. Now, as the bear market began to set in, FTX began to eye ambitions to bail out failing firms and maybe eat up additional market share in the process. This is something that SBF was in the media over all the time, talking about the bear market being an opportunity to eat up the additional market share, to eat up some competition. And we saw some big moves. He won the bid to buy out Voyager Digital, that huge firm that we covered a while back that absolutely failed. He extended a $250 million line of credit to BlockFi to help bail them out. That went well as well. That was a good one. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he committed to offering Lunk, L-U-N-C, on (laughs) FTX after the Luna and Terra fallout. So there were some big I like that pronunciation, Lunk. I I prefer saying Lunacy. That's my... That's my that's my preferred pronunciation, but we digress. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll switch over to that after all of this. <laughs> so, FTX had also made throughout this time significant investments in the Web three space through its investment arm known as Alameda Research. Another name that you may have seen. The two are pretty closely tied to each other, but did operate, at least we thought, independently. And Alameda Research had reported over $14 billion in assets, big, big numbers being thrown around Mm. in terms of their investments, the amount of money that they had on the books. They had a significant stake in Solana. In fact, they were a huge part of growing that ecosystem. And at the same time, SBF was getting increasingly involved in crypto regulation. And I'll come back to the motivation behind that in just a moment here. But from the outside, the perception was that it was mostly altruistic and a good thing for the space until a few things were revealed. In fact, SBF was regularly testifying in front of Congress, meeting with politicians, and he made some of the most significant political donations of the past two years. He was the second largest donor to Biden's 2020 presidential campaign, the second largest donor to Democrats in the 2022 midterms behind only George Soros. And Mm -hmm. he had made a pledge to spend over like a billion dollars in the 2024 elections. This was just a couple months ago, by the way, that Matt and I were covering this. So he was making some huge 
political moves. And this was generally being seen as, as positive for his image. He, he had famously taken on commitments to what he was calling effective altruism, which is like this rationalistic way to make philanthropic investments. He was very committed to combating future pandemics. He was committed to, uh, you know, safe and fair crypto regulation and transparency and many other things which caused him to get heavily involved in uh, in politics. And in fact, something to keep in mind here is that just recently when he uh, testified in front of Congress, he was talking about how there's an amazing clip that's floating around Twitter right now. He was talking about how, you know, in 2008, the reason that the banks collapsed was because there wasn't enough transparency and that now with uh, crypto firms like FTX, and these centralized exchanges, everything is transparent and verifiable. And that's why they won't make the same mistakes as the past. (laughs) Okay. Something to keep in mind there. Now, remember at the same time, CZ, the CEO of Binance, which is that big competitor, the number one exchange, he's a Chinese citizen and there are likely ties between Binance and the CCP. Why is this important? As U.S. and China tensions rise, this does pose a bit of a risk to Binance, especially with tapping the Western market. So SBF's involvement in politics meant that he could use U.S. regulation to gain a strategic advantage over Binance and begin to lock them out of the U.S. economy potentially. So it wasn't all totally altruistic. There were some business-related motivations here, obviously, and CZ started to see this. Just recently, two important events unfolded that opened the door for CZ to make some big moves and attack FTX. First, SBF published proposals on crypto regulation that were met with severe skepticism. It was felt that these posed huge threats to DeFi and that they were pushes for regulatory capture and dominance over the space. He also famously debated this on a, a podcast on, in several places, actually, and struggled yeah. to defend his position. This was with Eric really... Voorhees, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, did, did you see the one where someone put the Curb Your Enthusiasm like uh, <laughs> music to the end? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, he was basically, you know, Eric Voorhees w- was saying, like, what is the difference between... Uh, email versus crypto in, in terms of you know transparency and, and how we regulate and, and control them. And SBF had a really hard time defending additional regulation and control over crypto and, and exchanges through that lens. And it really started to sow doubt on his motives and his principles, that perhaps his principles that he was public with and his sort of altruistic, positive for the space image that he had developed were at conflict with maybe some of his personal and business ambitions and motivations behind the the regulation that he was pushing for. And I think that this became increasingly obvious to CZ, and he started to notice, hey, maybe some of the tides are turning against SBF in terms of his public perception within the crypto space. Then, just recently, Coindesk published a story which stated that much of that $14 billion in assets that we were talking about earlier that was on the Alameda research balance sheet, it was actually in its native FTT token that the company makes itself. So this meant that if FTT's price dropped, FTX itself could be at risk. And I would just like to kind of put this to a bit of a backdrop here where a couple months ago, there was this really beautiful article in Forbes 
and you've probably seen this floating around on, on Twitter, Matt, the screenshot from this, uh, where the literally the headline says, Bankman Fried warns some crypto exchanges already, quote, secretly insolvent. Yeah. I wonder if he was talking about FTX. <laughs> yeah. Speaking in the third person. Uh, it's yeah. just, it, yeah. I mean, when you get, I think what you start to see now that we have some of the facts, and I know we're still uh, un, um, kind of outlining some of this for, for everyone listening, but you you start to see things through a slightly different lens. Um, and I, I do think we've talked time and time again about how very, very bad thing about this industry is how quickly we are to put individuals on a pedestal. And I know that me and yourself, Austin, we we were talking about and almost joking earlier in the year that, you know, if SBF were to turn out to be a bad actor, we'd all be in a very, very bad place. Well, you know, here we are. Um, I was at... Uh, I was at Token 2049 yesterday in London, and there's there was a lot of discussion, obviously, uh, around this at the event. One of the overwhelming emotions that I think was very different to the lunar kind of situation, where I would say after the lunar crash, it was just people were shell shocked, uh, people were upset. Um, this was just angry. I would say was the general vibe here, and. You know, we we talk about this idea of decentralization, openness, transparency, and the idea of like trustlessness and uh, what I forget the the like the famous kind of overused cliche line of like don't trust verify. But you know, like when when we put enormous amounts of trust in individuals and those individuals that are running conflicting, almost black box businesses right that that we have to kind of just hope that they're doing the right thing you know it's kind of pretty obvious in hindsight which is always 2020 that some of this stuff's going to happen but let's let's keep on track because i think there's the the wildness of of this story just uh, continues to escalate yeah so okay Tides have turned in terms of public perception against SBF because of his participation in DeFi-related and and exchange-related regulation. And then Coindesk publishes this story that a a huge amount of those $14 billion in assets that Alameda had on their balance sheet was actually in FTT, and thus this put FTX at risk if a bunch of FTT were to be dumped on the market. Okay? Now, remember... That as part of that divestment all the way back in 2021 that Binance had from FTX, they received $2.1 billion worth of FTT and BUSD. So a few days ago, CZ announces on Twitter that Binance will liquidate their $2.1 billion of FTT and BUSD, quote, due to recent revelations that came to light. Very sort of ominous. Mm. Yeah, I think it was that they, well, I think they were just liquidating the FTT piece, right? And I I think that was around about, if I remember correctly, $600 million worth. Right, you're right, yes. Is that right? Yeah, I was trying to remember the exact ratio, yeah, the FTT, um, which is a lot. 
of uh, of FTT to dump on the market. In fairness, That's they did say yeah. that it was going to happen over like uh, they were going to do it over a period of a month or something. But I mean, even that, it, yeah, it was, a, it was it was a big shock. Yeah, and of course, what did this do? It sent the entire crypto space into a frenzy and spooked a massive sell-off in the process. And at the same time, a bunch of speculation was going around as to FTX's potential insolvency, which further caused investors to withdraw their assets from FTX, and it led to a downward spiral in FTT's price. In fact, today, it's trending right towards zero. But at the time you know, a few days ago, this sort of speculation around insolvency was was generally kind of unsure. In fact, I would say that the the overwhelming sentiment was there's no way that FTX could be insolvent. Like the, the chances, I saw plenty of tweets that were saying the chances of that are less than 1%. What this is probably going to do is shake up the ecosystem a, a little bit. We're going to have some problems here. There's going to be, you know, a war between FTX and Binance that's obviously unfolding, but like it's FTX is not insolvent. It's not going to cause a collapse of FTX. But then things started to get a little sketchy when Alameda's CEO, Caroline, took to Twitter to respond to the leaked balance sheet and CZ's announcement to dump FTT. And she claimed that the leaked balance sheet actually missed assets worth upwards of $10 billion. She offered to buy back Binance's FTT holdings at $22, which which was kind of a, a little bit of like a, you know, a puffing your chef, chest up, egotistical yeah. tweet. I, that I, I, I think, think it was, I think it was 25 bucks ish around that time i i think that was roughly what it is uh so yeah they were they were offering to buy it at i mean a small discount on market price but yeah they knew that if if binance actually did dump it was going to go much lower than that yeah and it was obvious from just the tone of her tweet mm. um that there was a little bit of panic and some damage control going on and of course you know the, the thoughts thoughts back to just months ago, de- deploying more capital, lads, <laughs> hold the yeah. line, all started it's, to flood into people's brains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do, do you know the strangest thing I found about all of this? Why is this happening over Twitter? You, you know, like, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I've got my popcorn here, but it's just, why is this happening over Twitter? Like, literally, the the the, the offers being extended happening over tweets it's just it it was the most surreal like public flex of power by yeah to at least both of them at the time are billionaires uh i'm I'm unsure about that right now but um it's just very strange and it's not a good look regardless of like where we are today and the outcome of all this it's just a terrible look what institutional investor looks at that and says hmm yeah, I want a piece of that. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Um, and then, of course, this offer that Caroline put on the table to buy back Binance's FTT holdings at $22, it was later declined by CZ. And his rejection of the offer to sell higher, uh, it, it ignited speculations that his aim was to sink FTT. Yeah. So amidst, th- this, of course, causes more people to want to start pulling their money out of FTX. It's like, okay, something weird is going on here. And there, there, there begins to be continuous user requests for withdrawal from FTX that amounted to over $6 billion. 
And FTX was left with no choice a couple days ago but to halt withdrawal requests. And that got really weird because that's a story, Matt, (laughs) that we have seen over and over and over again. Once the exchange starts halting the withdrawals, it spells collapse. And I remember you and I were- Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you and I were were talking about this and we were like, we know exactly how this ends. But actually- we didn't totally know. Yeah, in fairness, yeah. Would not have so, betted on the next step, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So very much to our surprise, on the morning of November 8th, just a couple days ago, Binance steps in and announces that they had signed a non-binding letter of intent to acquire FTX International. And I have to say, my mind was just blown throughout this process because of how fast it was unfolding. It was so quick. Yeah. Within a matter of hours, we go from, you know, FTX is pausing withdrawals. There's like all of these concerns about these tokens being dropped on the market to like FTX probably isn't insolvent to, okay, maybe it is insolvent to, okay, uh, you know, CZ obviously is waging a war here to CZ saying, oh, I have like no ill intent to CZ saying, okay, I'm buying FTX. (laughs) And by the way, the tweet thread that they, that SBF put out after this was just the worst. Like, like literally tail between your legs, like weird. It it was, it was just bizarre, wasn't it? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It very much felt like a, you know, like, like he was being, there were, there were real egos at play here and that Mm -hmm. CZ wanted him to, to bend the knee and to publicly compliment CZ for how he saved FTX. But the, if if there was a video, if there was a video of him doing this instead of a tweet, it would be, you know, like a hostage video where the person behind the camera is <laughs> telling them what they need to read out. That That is effectively the way I read SBF's tweet here. It's like at gunpoint, basically, do it. <laughs> yeah, it very much felt like a struggle session where it's like yeah. SBF just repenting forever, doubting who the true leader is. Uh, yep. And uh, what's so funny about this or I guess terrible also, is that as part of that, the entire letter of intent and the deal was subject to due diligence. And Binance would first need to look through FTX's balance sheet before making a final decision. So they announced this whole deal to buy out FTX. SBF basically comes, you know, crawling on his knees in front of the people saying, look, we failed FTX is insolvent and we need a buyout, which totally destroys the brand, totally submits him to CZ. And then CZ can do due diligence and has the option to pull out and actually not help FTX at all. And that's exactly what happened. After and of course that FTX's- was going to happen. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just as soon as I read the tweet, I mean, we were chatting in Discord together, right? And I was just like, I was like, there is no way this deal is going through. My biggest concern yeah. was, what the hell are we going to uncover in this due diligence? Like what <laughs> the, it, the, the fact that this happened, the thing that I'm still trying to get my head around here is I do not believe for one moment that Binance were ever serious about acquiring FTX. I, no, like not at all. You know, they were the first investors. They, they knew the situation. They knew clearly 
the the situation that FTX were in and what Alameda in particular were in. So they it was never going to pass diligence. The fact that diligence lasted what twenty four hours, right? It's like you know, ha- yeah. This stuff takes a long time, and for them to already be like, "Yeah, we're out." I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand. I mean, CC's playing some kind of 4D chess that is on another like dimension to what my brain operates on. But yeah, it's uh, I yeah, I just can't can't really understand it. Yeah, obviously, a very strategic and <laughs> competent person, <laughs> to say the least, at the helm of Binance. I. Uh, I kept having flashbacks to, you know, passages read from the art of war as this yeah. was unfolding. And it just, it just felt very swift. And I agree with you, Matt. I, I never thought that, uh, that finance was actually going to buy out FTX. And honestly, I don't think SBF did either. I mean, yeah. if I were in his position, I don't think I would have thought that, which leads me to believe this was a total last ditch effort, a move in desperation. And it has since unfolded that, SBF was calling all of his contacts in Silicon Valley, billionaires, other huge entities, trying to get them to buy him out, to buy And he still is. Yeah, and he still is. Well, he's trying to to do fundraising as well. Who who in their right mind is going to take that on? It's going to be just such a giant clusterfuck that I, I just cannot, I can't see what kind of buyer would benefit from this. Yeah, I mean, to me, it would all just have to depend on on the terms of the deal. Like, if if you know bankruptcy is filed and you can find a way to like not take on the sort of liabilities, but you could mm. the brand still does have a somewhat salvageable value. I know that right now it seems like the worst thing in the world, but there there have been, of course, times in the past where you know you could still recover from something like this if you can get it for cheap enough. I mean, it's been plastered yeah. all over the Super Bowl and. F1 cars. Um, mm-hmm. But with that said, the point that we're at right now is that SBF revealed to investors that FTX was going to have to file for bankruptcy without recusing itself. And surprise, surprise, the SEC and the Justice Department have announced that they are investigating FTX and SBF for the implosion. And of course, tons of speculation going around as to SBF's potential criminal involvement here because it came to light that a lot of the money that was being you know, held in FTT and in uh, Alameda, they were taking users' funds that had been deposited into FTX and they were investing with them, right? So they were yeah, basically mis- misappropriating user funds. Uh, and that, that's where things fall apart. Yeah. This is the crux of the real... This is where things get seriously bad for um, SBF. And uh, so the, the allegations here, are that um, four billion dollars worth of assets, user funds that also allegedly include Robinhood shares that SBF owned, um, were transferred into the balance sheet of Alameda to keep Alameda afloat after the terrible deals that that they made earlier in the year with the likes of Voyager and Co. Um, and allegedly, Sam didn't tell any of the other executives uh, when when he did this. And, you know, there's just, there's layers to this. I mean, if we actually just, like, take a step back, how Sam can run a major trading company and run 
an exchange, the conflict of interest there is on just another level. That is and then so when you, true. And, and when you factor in, yeah, like the amount that of FTT tokens that Alameda held on their bank sheet, uh, on their balance sheet, like it's it's just really it sets up really like perverse incentives uh, in place and. It almost is like insider trading by default. It's just that I, it just never. There's no way in the traditional finance uh, financial services system that this kind of structure would be allowed. And you've got to think that this is going to hurt when it comes to, ironically, regulation, which uh, Sam has been trying his hardest to put in favorable terms, likely for himself and his uh, entities. Um, and from a trust perspective for from individual investors and in particular institutional investors i think this is gonna it's gonna do some damage it's gonna do some real damage um i think that in all honesty these cpi numbers that we've had come out today are papering over the very very deep cracks that that have formed in the uh the backlash this you know we're talking about the ftt token right we were at what on saturday 20 about 26 bucks per token as i look right now we're three dollar 40 you know that's this it's completely collapsing solana is i think one of the big like collateral damage um projects in all this and i kind of feel for the solana ecosystem um alameda were one of the big uh, early investors um and combined with jump and multi-coin capital they, they held an enormous amount of solana on ftx as well so there's just like continuous systemic risk that bleeds over and the solana ecosystem is in a, a in turmoil right now as uh, in mass sell-offs i think they're down 50 percent over the past seven days um so yeah like the this this story is is by no means kind of over right now as well. Yeah, and of course the results of this are that there is an eight billion dollar hole left by FTX and Alameda. Over six hundred fifty million dollars appears to be personally owed by FTX by SBF. Billions of dollars in user funds are locked up in FTX. This is like a Mt. Gox situation, you all. People Mm -hmm. are not going to be able to get their money back out of this. I've seen so many stories of people saying, my entire net worth is locked up there. I'm not going to be able to make my bills. Um, I think this is a good moment and, and not an attempt to rub salt in the wounds, but rather to just try to reiterate an important piece of advice and a, at a sobering moment and a relevant moment for this advice, which is try to not keep your money tied up in centralized exchanges. You want to only keep what you can, what you're ready to trade on the centralized exchange and everything else, keep it on a hardware wallet, on, on cold storage. This is something mm-hmm. that we've talked about since our very first season. And it's so painful to see so many people with, in many cases, you know, everything that they have to their name. It was tied up on an exchange. And if it had just been on a hardware wallet on, on cold storage, uh, it, th- it wouldn't have been locked up in this situation and they would have had access to it. It's just the money that was on the exchange. So be careful about where you're keeping your funds. When, when your funds are on an exchange, 
they're not yours. You're, you're trusting the exchange to pay out when you request it to. And from FTX's legal perspective, they were actually paying out their funds to you. It's not like a, a specific token that they're holding, you know, in a virtual vault for you that they'll give back to you when you request it. It's their funds legally that they're paying out to you. So you can see how these things start to go sideways, especially when there isn't transparency. If you're not holding your crypto, it's not your crypto. 100%. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a, a really important point. I think the, la- the last thing to just round this out, by the way, on the FTX story, I mean, that for, for now at least, so SBF actually, yeah, about when when was it that SBF tweeted? Maybe a, about an hour ago, Austin, just before we started mm-hmm. recording. Um, he, he tweeted out, uh, you know, it, this this thread. It starts with, "I'm sorry, that's the biggest thing. I fucked up and should have done better." Right? Okay. Um, but I think one <laughs> of the most important parts of all of this that he confirms a few details, um, and the details that he confirms is, and I am very dubious about the actual explanation here, he says, you know, I'm still fleshing out every detail of what's happened, but at the high level, I fucked up twice. The first time, (laughs) a poor internal labeling of bank-related accounts meant that I was substantially off on my sense of users' margins. Right, so he he has described this as poor internal labeling. Here was the mistake that he he made, right? So he says like what he thought was the case was that um, the user's margin, there was like 0x leverage in place and the amount of USD liquidity that they were ready to deliver was 24 times the average daily withdrawal amount. So they had like 24 times the amount of uh, USD liquidity to be able to process withdrawals. What was actually the case is that users' leverage was 1.7x. And when it came to liquidity, they were 0.8x of Sunday's withdrawals. That's quite the difference. 24x to 0.8x. Now, I will say Sunday's was the largest by a huge margin because of the fact that they saw roughly 5 billion. I mean, actually, I think it was even closer to 6 billion of withdrawals on Sunday. But it just kind of goes to show, you know, this is <laughs> this is pretty much like the pure basics, like the bare minimum that an exchange has to do is have enough liquidity to support and back user withdrawals. Um, so it's like there's a lot that he he kind of talks about in all of this. One of the last things that he kind of mentions is. Um, He says, first, one way or another, Alameda Research is winding down trading. Um, So that's it. Alameda is is going to be kind of no more. Um, So this is pretty much kind of the the end. There's a a bunch of stuff that he talks about in in this thread. It's worth kind of checking out. And um, the, the, the final thing... He says, at some point, I might have more to say about a particular sparring partner, so to speak, aka CZ. <laughs> I wonder who that might be. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, glass houses. So for now, all I'll say is, well played, you won. Which I think is a really shitty thing to actually say yep. here because it just tries to absolve, regardless of whether, like, you know, 
uh, CZ has got the outcome that he wanted. I don't actually think CZ wanted this outcome, to be honest. Like, sure, he doesn't want FTX to compete with them, but I don't think he wants the loss of like millions in users' funds. Um, but yeah, it basically just is him, uh, SBF starts with saying, I'm sorry, and ends with saying, actually, this is CZ's fault. <laughs> you yeah, know? he totally uh, attempted to distance himself from this. And in fact, he also made it about himself in a lot of ways. And if you mm-hmm. contextualize this as you read this thread with, uh, imagine if you are one of the people with your entire net worth tied up in this guy's exchange that he gambled away, okay? Yeah. And you're reading this and he's, he's still so concerned with sharing his perspective, fixing his record, making it about him, how infuriating that would be. And I yeah. will say, Matt, you know, you you talked about how the the sort of general tone a couple days ago was was different than with other collapses that we've seen in the past. And that this time it wasn't one of of, of panic or fear or sadness. It was one of anger. And I think yeah. there's a reason for that. Because SPF was worth over $26 billion, okay? He was rich. And that all of that wealth was gained in a couple of years. In fact, there were articles going around saying this guy could be the, fir- the world's first trillionaire. And at the same time, <clears throat> he was building a public image based almost entirely on being a good actor in the space, being an altruistic person, all of these things. And he would, he would speak negatively about other people in the space, speak down about other people in the space that were also making a ton of money like he was, but were totally transparent and unapologetic about their greed. And to me, Mm -hmm. I think that that's where it hurts is that people saw him as some type of a good person, some type of a hero figure, somebody that had, you know, higher morals and aspired to better things than, than other people in the space. And the reality was objectively, if you look at these metrics, he was the worst of all of them. And I think that coming out of this, we need to, to your point earlier, we need to think really closely and, and, and and long and hard about how we put people on pedestals and who we choose to trust and what our motivations for trusting people are and where our biases come into play here. For example, if somebody's donating a billion dollars or more to political campaigns, maybe inherently they're not exactly a good actor or a good faith (laughs) actor on the global scale, even if it's a donation to your guy. I think that's what we need to come away from this with is that, and a lot of the time, by the way, you know, being perceived as an altruistic person, as somebody that is aspiring to something higher, that, that is fundamentally a business strategy. It allows you all kinds of, of, of perks and, and conversations and opportunities that, that you wouldn't get otherwise. And to me, I would much rather have the person that is straight up and transparent and honest and says, look, guys, I'm a billionaire and I'm in this to make money. And hopefully you're going to get rich, too, as part of this. Then someone that's like, I'm all about effective altruism and, you know, oh, yeah. saving the planet and preventing pandemics and, and, and all of this. And then is actually the most greedy person out of all of them. I think there's some huge lessons to come out of this in terms of how we evaluate our, our public figures and the people that we put on a pedestal in this industry. Yeah. You can't put a price on owning the benefit of the doubt. And that's what SBF was ultimately able to achieve in almost every aspect of the way that he acted. He bought the benefit of the doubt. You know, like we, like if there was even like the narrative around his uh, political donations, largely sentiment was positive, you know, within the crypto space. When he was 
buying out all of these uh, kind of dead assets or dying assets is like, yeah, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Like, we think he's kind of doing a good thing. I guess it's for this reason. Uh, he's lobbying for regulation. I guess he's doing it. You know, like, and this is yep. it's the same story that that we've had with like the Three Arrows, Doquan. I completely agree. I think that SBF, this situation is way worse. What SBF has done is categorically, in my opinion, worse than what Doquan did. Doquan yep. built a really shitty system that and was terrible leader and <laughs> kind of you know and, and and failed what uh what what sbf has done here is he has knowingly manipulated markets putting and gambled away the the livelihoods of individuals and institutions as well right so the the damage yeah, here and is largely send... through a lot of that was largely through extreme egregious deception and that's yes. that's where it hurts 100 percent. so i think yeah this is a this is a big moment i think we <clears throat> we probably covered this to uh we'll obviously keep covering this and stay on top i hope this gives everyone a bit of a uh, an insight into this i want to take a, a quick breather and uh we'll we'll come back for a, a second part that's somewhat related to to this story that's been happening throughout today i think I'm hoping that we're seeing near the tail end of some of this, but it's still a, a, another kind of part of the contagion that, that's spreading. The market today has been testing the peg of Tether, USDT. So earlier this morning, I kind of woke up, was in a little bit of a panic when I went over to Curve and had a little look at 3Pool, which is the largest stablecoin liquidity ports made up of USDC, USDT, which is Tether, and DAI. Uh, roughly like around $1 billion worth of, of stablecoins in that pool. Now, it had seen a ton of activity over the past 12 hours. And it left the reserves of those currencies very imbalanced. The whole point of these kind of stablecoin pools is that they remain pretty balanced and ultimately help maintain the peg of all three of those stable coins. Now, so you'd expect like USDC, USDT and DAI to be kind of in between like the 30 to 35% reserves each, right? That make up this, uh, this pool. When I, I pushed out a tweet a couple of hours ago, USDT accounted for 80% of the pool. It, it was, and the reason for this, right, is that there were some kind of like early rumors of concerns around like the um, Tether's kind of legitimacy, which we see quite a lot in all fairness and like whether it's actually backed. I know we've had a lot of information around this, but a few big things happened. And one of those was our good friend, Avi Eisenberg, who we talked a little bit about um, a, a few weeks ago, the, the person that exploited the Mango Markets protocol on the Solana blockchain, took out an enormous short against USDT, which started a massive kind of, um, uh, kind of run on the, the, the curve pool, the three pool, which meant that a ton of people were uh, pulling out USDC and die in, in exchange for USDT. Now, 
USDT would probably need to get closer to like 90, 95% before we see any really significant movement on the peg. But we've already seen some smaller moves that can kind of create panic and contagion across larger centralized exchanges where there are also additional liquidity. So USDT usually trades between like uh, 0.999 cent and $1.01 cent in that range pretty tightly. Um, Even like small deviations out of that are pretty significant because of the sheer amount of liquidity and what it takes to to kind of move that peg. Binance, Kraken, Coinbase, and OKX actually shared data um, and showed the stablecoin was trading between the 992 and 993 range uh, at all four of those exchanges through the past kind of six to seven hours. So we've seen big kind of dips. Um, the short that Abby Eisenberg has kind of put up uh, was around about $180 million worth. And and I want to just like, it's actually really simple to short a stablecoin like Tether. I want to just explain this very briefly because I know shorting is is, is uh, actually a very con, uh, kind of can be very complex, especially when we talk about like in the futures market. But this is actually just a much more simple way that can be done through DeFi. So in this case, right, if, if someone wanted to put up a short on Tether, literally anyone can can do this. Now, whether you can do it at the size that uh, Abby has done is, is a different thing. But all you would do is you would put down either USDC or DAI as collateral on a large lending platform. Probably Aave is like your only hope here because of just the sheer amount of liquidity that they have. So you lock up USDC or DAI and then borrow USDT against that collateral. So you're borrowing one stablecoin in the form of Tether and locking up USDC or DAI. Now, when you need to pay off that debt, you need to pay it off in, in Tether. So the Tether that you've bought, that you've borrowed, sorry, you would convert into either USDC or DAI. Now, the reason why you would then do this is if USDT falls in value, the value of the debt that you actually own, uh, that you owe, dramatically drops. So let's say Tether drops to sixty cent on the on the dollar. I mean, we've seen a lot of this kind of action around the Luna crash and people doing this. Well, all of a sudden, you have to pay forty percent of your loan back, forty uh, percent less of your loan back to unlock your your collateral. Well, if that's the case, and you're actually holding USDC, which doesn't degrade in price, you've just basically gained 40% cash um, by paying off the the tether debt and keeping the premium on top of that. So it's like pretty incredible. You're basically getting discounted debt as as a short. So it makes it very, very easy to do this. The the consequence of doing this, right, in in the the way that this happens is tons and tons of tether gets dumped on the market and a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy starts to be, uh, begin happening in that the more of these types of short positions that get put up especially in size the the, the quicker that the the peg can start to falter and all it takes is one big run for kind of the market to kind of get a little bit scared and then you know we, we know how this can end if tether fell it would be monumental um, it is by far and away the, the most liquid stablecoin of all in the market. And I think what I'm seeing right now as we record, it seems a bit more stable. Uh, and I'm hoping that it's kind of stabilizing. But keep a close eye on this. To be honest, if I were you, if you held Tether in any kind of size or whatever size is for you, personally, I would 
I would not hold it. I would switch it out for either USDC or DAI or a combo of the two, uh, just to be kind of on the safe side. I am like very risk off right now. But here's the thing. Not financial makes, advice. Not financial advice. Yes, very much a, an important thing. Uh, here's, here's, the, here's the thing that is probably the most incredible, actually, about all of this. So while all this is playing out, you remember that uh, trading firm, Alameda? And you remember oh, that uh, SBF said they were going to be winding down their trading? Well, when we look on the Ethereum blockchain, and we have a little look at one of the wallets that Alameda holds, the Alameda uh, like Fund 9 wallet, I believe it is, you can see that Alameda is also setting up, albeit much smaller, short positions on USDT in the exact same way. Deposit. We can see that they're depositing collateral into Aave, borrowing a USDT, converting it into USDC. It's just incredible that in spite of all of this, they're still forming short positions. And this is fucking Alameda doing this. Um, so, you know, th- this just was the cherry on the icing on the top of the cake for, for me um, in, in all of this story. And I would I would say I'm surprised, but I, I'm not. That was a lot that we've covered. <laughs> well, Matt, I love that Avi Eisenberg is already back with $180 oh, million. Dollars. <laughs> this just guy... So- <laughs> this guy has just like the nerves of steel. I'm yeah, like, truly. I, I just can't. And he, you know, he just, he'll, he'll, he's, he does not care about ruffling feathers. This is just a continuous play that, that he has on all of this. So yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out for, for him. We'll keep an eye on Tether. The FTX situation is clearly going to evolve and yeah. transpire over time. Final One additional of, thing yeah. that I, I want to mention, which we didn't clarify in our story earlier, but just to be clear for our U.S. listeners, right now, FTX U.S. is not impacted by this. We're talking about FTX International. They're two separate bodies. They're governed differently. And if you want to understand why that is, uh, Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, actually put out a really great thread uh, yesterday, I believe, talking about how, you know, because... Coinbase is publicly traded and regulated by the SEC and and all of these things. They have transparency in terms of their reserves. And FTX US is subject to all of the regulations that uh, that come with operating in the US. You know, again, not financial advice. Personally, mm. I, I'd probably still be a bit weary of FTX US yeah. just because of all of the inertia ar- around what's happening here. So if you're looking for a different exchange <laughs> that is based within the U.S. to operate from. You're gonna head on back to your good old pal Coinbase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, Brian's gonna be standing there with open arms, welcoming uh, many, many people. Uh, wow. Well, uh, I, I hope uh, that uh, the majority of our listeners have not been impacted. Well, I hope no one that's listening has been impacted by this. I'm sure some of you listening have been impacted. Um, so obviously our, our thoughts kind of go out to, to you all. Yeah. Hopefully this isn't as bad or it doesn't end as bad as we think it potentially can. We'll keep close eyes on it. We'll be covering it as always. And, uh, yeah, never a dull moment. If you want to kind of keep up to, up to date on all the things happening, uh, obviously follow myself and Austin on Twitter, where we kind of keep a bit of a running commentary. And until then, I'll see you next week, Austin. See you, Matt.
Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.